second episode of Louisiana's Got Talent, a, a podcast brought to you by the Louisiana Board of Regents. I'm Kim Hunter-Reed, Commissioner of Higher Education and Louisiana's Chief Development uh, Advocate for Talent in our states. Here at the Board of Regents, we have a mission and a focus on developing talent, erasing equity gaps, and making sure that education is affordable and accessible to more of our students. To achieve our big mission, we want to ensure that 60% of our population has a credential of value by 2030, which requires us to more than double the number of credentials in our states. This podcast is an opportunity for us to talk with innovative uh, leaders, to talk with thought leaders, and to try to really delve into the kinds of topics that will help us to get to our goal. And we wanna make sure that more students have opportunities than ever before, no matter their race or place or zip code. So we're ending the uh, Black History Month and certainly looking forward to hopefully a fantastic legislative session for higher education. So in this second episode of Louisiana's Got Talent, we could think of no one better to speak with than Rick Gallo, who is the president of Gramlin State University. Uh, president Gallo was selected in 2016 after uh, serving 16 years, I believe, in the legislature, both in the House and in the Senate. Under his leadership, Gramlin has flourished. Uh, they have they continue to lead the state in terms of African-American graduates in computer science. They have the first bachelor's degree in cybersecurity. And as they continue to do amazing things, it remains my parents' campus, a place where everybody is somebody. President right. Gallo, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, Dr. Reed, thank you so much for, for having me. It's such an honor to, to serve uh, alongside you. And of course, you've been such an incredible and amazing leader for all of higher education. And, you know, when, when your appointment was announced, it, it was certainly a, a very bright spot in the, in the history of our state, but also for all of us who've had the opportunity to work with you in the past and, and to know uh, that, that your sleeves stay rolled up. Uh, and that you're always about doing the work uh, and getting it done. So thank you. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me on today. Well, thank you so much. And as I mentioned, you and I have a sort of shared mission and vision when it comes to talent development in our state. We talk about talent development all the time. I'm curious from your perspective as a university president, a former legislator, or a lawyer, how do you think about talent? What does talent mean to Rick Gallup? You know, the, the thing is, God gives everybody a, a certain gift and talent. And the question becomes, you know, how do we develop that that God has already uh, gifted us with? And I think that, you know, as I'm out recruiting, uh, and I, that's probably one of the things I enjoy most about this, this job is going out and, and recruiting prospective students. I tell them, we will meet you where you are and help to take you where you have the, uh, the potential and the, and the gifts and, and talents to go. And I think part of it is, is that we as educators have to understand uh, our students. We have to know them. You know, we, we can't just look at them as, oh, this is an English major or this is a cybersecurity major. There, there are, and especially in this COVID environment, there, there are so many layers to who our students are. And so when, when you think about uh, our size and, and relative small size, you know, we're able to, to really get to know our students on, on a more personal basis and to help develop that, that talent uh, that they have. You know, the other thing is, and we talked about, you know, we talk about all the time in, in terms of giving students enough information to make good decisions, because quite often, you know, our kids don't get the kind of information they need early on in life, you know, it's, 
you should be a you know professional athlete. You should do all these things that you're able to you know drive a Mercedes and build live in a in a mansion. Right. Well, you know, and so for for a lot of our kids, they have this. It's this or or nothing, and there's so much in between. So you know, when we take the time to uh, to to have our uh, young men from our Call Me Mister program to to go out to the high schools and have you know high school students look at these young men and say. What you know, teaching is actually a career that would be acceptable and I could could make a living and and dress nice or or do whatever, you know, or cybersecurity or, or whatever the case may be, just giving them enough information to know that that there are career paths available and within reach uh, if if they will uh, if they'll just just go ahead and, and pursue it and go for it. That is so important. You know, when you think about exposure, as you were talking about that, I think about my grandmother's generation where they said African-Americans could be a teacher or a preacher. And that was pretty much it. But now you think about this full range of opportunities. So as an educator, obviously, you're thinking about not just receiving talent, but cultivating talent and expanding the knowledge base for those students. Absolutely. And and when you think traditionally, especially when, when you think about HBCUs, the, the first bachelor's degree we awarded in 1944 was in teacher education. So, I mean, yeah. that is really at our core uh, who, who we've always been known at, as an institution. Yeah. But in order to be able to go into cybersecurity or to go into physics or, or biology, you need some good teachers at the primary levels, right? And, right. and so, you know, I, I think over time, perhaps we we got away from what really put us on the map and those things that are essential uh, for, for good foundation in order to grow students to be able to, to pursue uh, all of the, these other areas. So, you know, it, it, it is, again, one, one of those things that, that we sometimes have to uh, sort of, uh, as uh, Stephen Covey in Habit 7, sharpen the saw. Sometimes we need to sharpen the saw and, and really get focused on, uh, on, on what, uh, what's really important. And, and so that, that's some of the things that, that we've done here, here at Grambling. I know foundationally you remain committed to great educators because they're the foundation for every discipline, but you certainly have stepped into the future with the first first bachelor's degree in cybersecurity. I want to talk about that because I have a couple of questions. One, I want to think about, and by the way, I cannot wait to meet the Gremlin STEM divas who are rocking the cover of Ebony Magazine. How cool is that? It is very cool. Fantastic that Ebony is printing a magazine now again with those uh, HBCU STEM ladies cover on the cover. Right. Just fabulous. But I want to talk about this program because when we think about cyber and ever evolving program, how do we educate students for a high demand field that is continuing to evolve? So as fast as they're graduating, I assume they're still having to upskill and reskill. Absolutely. Well, you know, part of it again is is making them understand uh, what the field is all about. And and I can remember being at at St. Aug in New Orleans uh, recruiting uh, pre-COVID, of course, and you know, talking about the cybersecurity program and said, "How many of you are interested in in going into cybersecurity?" You know, there are maybe three hands that to go up. And I said, "How many of you have an iPhone? iPhones are, are being held up. How many of you want to keep your text messages and and uh, all of that?" Uh, secure and not uh, subject to being hacked. 
course, they're all. So then they began to understand the connection between, you know, their photos that they're you know, storing in the cloud and keeping them safe from from hackers. Sometimes it's something very small that helps them to make the connection between this field that seems so far away and something that is very practical that they use every day. And so that is one of the, the many things we've done. One of the other programs that I'm really excited about is a partnership with Cyber.org, uh, the um, uh, Cyber Innovation Center over in Bossier City, uh, along with Cattle Parish Schools. We now have a program called Project Reach. We have 500 kids from high schools in and around Shreveport that are part of this pipeline that ultimately should lead to Grambling, where we're, we're teaching young people basic cyber skills at the, at the high school level. So it, it does a few things. Number one, it introduces, introduces them in a substantive way to what cybersecurity is. They get to come and visit the campus, uh, look at our cyber labs and, and really begin to, to understand the, the subject matter. And again, we're, we're really excited to see that program uh, being launched and, and just the interest. I mean, just the, the first class alone being over 500 students. Now, I don't know if we'll get all 500, but certainly I'm, I'm pushing to get uh, every last one of them. But it's exposure and, and, and helping them to understand uh, that, that it is something that they can, can very well do, and this is where they can do it. That's awesome. So we don't have enough diversity when we think about STEM, cyber, computer mm -hmm. science, engineering, the list goes on and on. What's the message from Gramlin as you all are successfully graduating computer science graduates, cybersecurity graduates? What do we need to know to diversify these fields? Well, and, and diversity, we in the traditional sense, we think about diversity in terms of race. OK, but and, and I, I was fortunate to be invited by a former congressman, Cedric Richmond, who, of course, is now senior advisor to uh, President Biden uh, to uh, testify before his committee it was the cybersecurity subcommittee of Homeland Security. And so of all the panelists, uh, everybody talked about trying to avoid blind spots and that. So by having a diverse workforce, not just uh, diverse in in their ethnicity, but in their diversity of thought. How, how do we look at a problem and solve it? And, and of course, uh, if you have nothing but MIT graduates working in a particular area, they're going to see it sort of the way that they're accustomed to being, being taught. But our students may look at these, at these uh, cyber attacks and see something that perhaps you know, UT students or uh, MIT or, or other school students may not very well see it. So again, it, it is having a lot of different people and trying to avoid the blind spots that could make us as a country vulnerable, uh, as well as you know, our, our companies, our schools, I mean, everyone uh, being vulnerable to these, uh, these, to these attacks. So I, I think we, we definitely understand that, that, that you've got to have a wide variety of people looking at, at these problems in particular, and things are changing. So quickly, what you know, what was a good cyber defense six months ago may not be the thing that's going to prevent the next one six months from now. So uh, these are all things that I think are, are very important. And, and again, I, I want to stress enough that I can't stress enough the, the fact that it's not just diversity of, uh, of skin color or, or, or ethnicity. It is really a, a complete overall diversity of thought geography, gender, all of these things that, that play a part in having a well, 
uh, well-run uh, cyber defense. That's great. We do believe that diversity is our great one of our greatest assets, no doubt Indeed. about that. So one of the things that obviously is a challenge for us as we think about it is making sure that we have everyone at the table, everyone available to access, uh, access rather, educational opportunities. Sure. So I'm curious about the value proposition conversation from your perspective, as we do not see enough males, minority males, making it to and through college today. So how should we be communicating or how are you communicating with students, male students perhaps, about why college is worth it, why they need to be here? So uh, as, as with most things important, one size doesn't fit all. And, and so I think it, it, takes a, uh, it takes a number of different strategies in, in order to uh, reach young men. Yeah, I'm, I'm always uh, you know, um, impressed with the motto of the 100 black men, what they see is what they will be. And so I think part of this has to in include mentorship, that they need to see uh, professionals. They need to see men who have gone through college, who perhaps, you know, uh, had a background similar to theirs. Now, right. you know, for me, you know, I grew up in a, a two-parent home. My, my mother taught at the university level. My dad was a businessman. You know, so I might see things a, a, a little bit differently. But for a kid who may have had challenges that that I didn't have someone who grew up perhaps in a single family home or in, in a home with uh, you know with a disabled parent you know I mean again there are all sorts of, of different challenges that uh, that our, our students face I, I had an opportunity to take a little side excursion I know we don't have a whole lot of time but I was invited to a scholarship breakfast over in uh, in Shreveport uh, a few weeks ago and the students uh, received scholarships from the crew of Harambe, and, and it was it. The program is designed for uh, the products of single-family homes, and and one of the um, uh, one of the students' uh, mother is a firefighter. So so if you think about you know, and she said you know I've only spent four Christmases with my mother because she was always working. So it, it, this wasn't a situation where, where the young lady had a, you know, a parent who was you know, uh, addicted to drugs or in jail or you know, right. some of those you know, things that we, we sometimes think about that, that create challenges for kids. She had a mother who, who worked really hard and, and because she was a firefighter, you know, was, was away for uh, almost all of the Christmases in, in her life. Having someone who can mentor to her and from, from the standpoint of having lived through that, perhaps can reach her in ways that some other uh, people may not. So again, you, you've, you've got to meet them where they are. And that, if, if there's any uh, common theme that, that I can continue to uh, stress, it is meeting our students where, where they are because they're all in, in very different places. You know, you think now with, with COVID, the mental health uh, challenges, the, the isolation, that a lot of kids have faced, which, you know, again, my generation didn't have that, uh, you know, that challenge to the right. extent and, and based on, on the challenges that, that these kids have had. But, you know, being out of school and, and uh, trying to learn on Zoom has, has created isolation for uh, a lot of students that, again, we, we have mental health challenges that we have to um, uh, take, a, we have to take into consideration as we're trying to impress upon uh, prospective students why it's important to go to college. Right now, they're just trying to figure out whether they want to live or die for some of them. I mean, and, you know, to, to hear a teenager say, I've, I've contemplated suicide because I feel so alone, 
you know, that that is something that is it's real. And, and I think, you know, we have to acknowledge that, you know, we do have students out there that that need someone who can can be understanding, can be empathetic and, and help them to see that there is a future for them, that, you know, that that we love them, God loves them, and, and there is a plan for, for their lives. Some of them just need to, to hear that, and we have to dial in enough to, to know that that's something that they need. No, so well said, and it certainly is, you know, a time of challenge, mm-hmm. and I appreciate you uh, flagging that, you know, that message that it's so important that we reach out and say, we value you, we see you. Mm-hmm. We want you to be a part of this community. So I want to uh, end with sort of a reflection from you. As we think about Black History Month, I know that you are carrying a banner for excellence uh, as an HBCU leader and someone who is out in the community statewide and throughout the nation talking about the value of our institutions and excellence and all of these amazing things under a backdrop of racial unrest unfortunately, bomb threats for HBCU. So I want you to sort of reflect on Black History Month 2022. Your thoughts? So, you know, there's so much that's different about 2022 than, you know, 1952, for instance. But unfortunately, there there are some similarities as well. You know, I, I think we uh, we face, uh, as you said, a racial unrest in ways that I really thought we, you know, we wouldn't see again. Uh, but uh, and and you know, there there was. I remember in my time in the legislature, and especially during the redistricting process that we're we're dealing with now. So often, you know, people would say, "Oh, well, you know, we elected the first black president. We're we're post racial now." No, we're, right. we're we're not. There was actually, you know, a, a phenomenon that was referred to as the the Obama, uh, you know, uh, blowback or, or the the Obama effect. That those there were those who saw the election of a black president as uh, as an assault on on their way of life, and so right. you know there are all these things that again when you think about George Floyd and and Ahmaud Arbery, uh, you know history books unfortunately are going to reflect this as as a a time of of great progress for African Americans. But it also will, will reflect, if it's an honest assessment of, of history, that, that we still have some, some dark times that, that exist because racism is still you know, such an ingrained part of, uh, of, of, our, of, our, of our society. So uh, I, I think for, for us as HBCUs, we have to continue to be a, a place where our students feel celebrated and not tolerated. You know that that is a, a common theme that that, uh, that that we talk about all the time. And you know, a good friend of mine, a Grambling grad, uh, Charles Blow, uh, who's New York Times uh, columnist and and has a, a show on uh, the Black News Channel. His son was at Yale and and had police to you know pull guns on him because he was going to the library. So it's a, a young black male with a backpack going to the library that was seen as someone that could be a threat. And threat. And when you know students go to what will be the first and only digital library in the state of Louisiana when we yeah. open it next month, they will not be uh, singled out or targeted for going to the library. Again, they will be celebrated for going to to the library. So you know we we still have a major role to play in uh, in in the development of this 
black middle and and upper class we still have a, have a place in higher education you think about and of course you get to see it all as um, a commissioner of all of higher ed how there are still challenges at the k-12 level that you know some of our kids just they come from k-12 systems that are underperforming for a lot of different reasons and so again there there's a place for the, the carnegie uh you know research institutions but there are all, there's also a place for uh, schools that, uh, that will meet students where they are and, again, develop the talent, the God-given talent that they, uh, that they have. There's still a role for us, and, and we're just excited that not only can we meet the basic educational needs of young people, but we can also position them to study areas like cybersecurity and cloud computing and all those things that will help them to uh, really, you know, see things that, uh, that, that we only dreamed about uh, growing up. And, and I'm just excited to, to be a small part of, of doing some really, uh, really amazing work here at Grambling. Well, you are certainly not playing a small part. You are playing a very large part. And we are proud that our HBCUs play an oversized part when it comes to developing minority talent in this country. And certainly Louisiana is blessed to have many HBCUs. But I really want to thank you, President Gallo, as just a leader, a friend, someone who is fully committed and passionate to this work. We're just delighted to have you on uh, this episode. So thank you very much for joining us. God bless you. Thank you so much, Dr. Reed. Thank you. And Louisiana's Got Talent is a monthly podcast produced by the Louisiana Board of Regents. To learn more about our work here at Regents, please visit www.laregents.edu or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook. And thank you so much for listening.